Hello and welcome to the Wavemakers podcast. I'm your host, Tamara Khan, and thanks for tuning in to the American Shoreline Podcast Network brought to you by Coastal News Today. Be sure to check out the other great podcasts on the network too. And if you're interested in sponsoring, visit coastalnewstoday.com forward slash advertising. Or you could drop me a line via email at tamara at ladybluetech.com. After our last couple of chats about infrastructure, I'm really looking forward today to speaking to some co-founders about a robot that they've created to help keep some of that infrastructure, like ports and marinas, free of plastic and pollutants. That's right. Today on the show, we're talking about a robot to solve a major problem we face in our oceans, lakes, and waterways. Have you ever been walking along a seafront, maybe past a yacht club or a marina, and noticed that collection of scum and plastic floating bits on the water? I know that in my time at sea for over a decade, aside from the junk I sadly saw floating in the open ocean, we would pull into ports and I would inevitably see varying degrees of this miserable muck from the Gulf of Mexico to South America, Africa, India, Asia, and islands everywhere in between. It didn't matter. They all had this problem. It was gross and it was depressing. And I just knew that whatever was floating there was free to head out to the open ocean as well. So first, this stuff collects in the marinas and along the coasts, and then it gets out to sea, unless somebody catches it first. So today on the show, I'm delighted to have two guests, Michael Aarons, CEO of Clean Earth Rover, and COO, David Constantine. Now, I'm pretty familiar with these two through my work at Seaworthy Collective. Seaworthy's mission is to enable access and inclusion in the global ocean and climate startup ecosystem. These are two of the talented entrepreneurs that we've had the pleasure to work with to empower as they drive innovation. If you're a founder or an aspiring founder in an ocean tech startup, I totally encourage you to to visit the Seaworthy website at seaworthycollective.com. Check out the Startups Program tab. We've actually just opened applications to be part of the next wave of sea change makers. This is a resource that I'm really happy to be able to offer here on Wavemakers, so pardon the shameless plug. But meanwhile, back to my guests today. Michael and David, very excited to have you on the show. Hi there. Hi, Tamara. Thank you. Good to be here. Wonderful. Well, here on Wavemakers, I always like to start by hearing a bit about you and your background, maybe your your journey, how you got here. So, Michael, would you like to start? Sure. Um, yeah, so I grew up in the Midwest and was in St. Louis for most of my life, uh, playing hockey and going to... Uh, some Jesuit high schools. And uh, I really became passionate about the oceans uh, when I was a senior in high school, participating in a public speaking class when my classmate had given his final topic on ocean plastics. And um, from there, it kind of kick-started my obsession with blue tech, entrepreneurialism, and solving some major world issues. Uh, so from there, I decided to go to Xavier University and continue my Jesuit education and my uh, my time playing hockey and was fortunate enough to be a part of their entrepreneurial program and start Clean Earth Rovers in that time. Run into some great people like David and 
uh, two of our other co-founders, like Fantastic. I uh, really appreciate having a young founder on the show, Michael. Um, great to hear that university was what kicked off the passion, or I guess high school and then university. And here you are today, having started a company like this. Um, David, how did you get involved? So I met Michael about my sophomore year of college. So I'll give you a little bit of background about myself as well. So originally born and raised from Buffalo, New York. Um, Michael and I had a little bit of similar background. Uh, like him, I went to a Jesuit uh, high school back in my hometown. Kind of like the values about that, both in the classroom and outside. And I decided to go to a Jesuit university and at Xavier. Um, so I was very fortunate enough during my time there, you know, Michael had kind of known that I had a passion about uh, environmental things, you know, start from my whole life. I mean, you know, even as a kid, I was always outdoors. I was involved in scouting and stuff like that. So it's always been something that's interesting to me. And um, it's funny because he kind of found out about this due to our or social medias. So Michael and I had actually lived across from each other our freshman year in college. Um, didn't know each other too well, but followed each other, would say hello and stuff. Um, and he happened to notice that I would kind of post a lot of stuff about the, envi- oops, uh, about the environment. And, uh, you know, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, I'm working on this thing. I'll, I'll let you know in the future, you know, if you're possibly interested about it. Took a little bit of time. And he basically sent me a long email um, about, you know, this business plan that he had formatted and kind of what it was resolving around. Um, and as soon as I heard it, I was like, I'm in, you know, Uh it was uh, no turning back. And, you know, now that was about three and a half coming on four years ago to um, this time. So it's been a great opportunity. I love that. So you you connected based on this passion and he found you, you said through social media was really the impetus. Social media. Yep. You got it. I would uh, a lot of times post stuff about, you know, um, specifically uh, oceanic plastic pollution and other things. But um, yeah, that's kind of how this uh how this idea kind of started. Very inspiring. And just to ask you guys, Michael, you said St. Louis and David said Buffalo. Neither of those are coastal cities. (laughs) Kind of neat that your passion kicked off for the ocean anyway. Yeah, it's funny. And then we ended up going even more into the middle of the United States and Cincinnati, Ohio, where Xavier is. So um, it's kind of a funny story. And there's really not much water around Cincinnati in general, too. Yeah, I think one of the the great things about our story is we've had the ability to bring a lot of awareness to Cincinnati about the issue that is out of sight, out of mind. Um, And that was at least what I saw in St. Louis and what kind of kickstarted me to be so passionate about this was it just isn't something that people were talking about. Um, So having the opportunity to kind of spread the news in Cincinnati and raise levels of awareness. It's been awesome. That makes total sense to me that you felt like motivated to create something and a solution. And then if you're having success, getting people to notice, that's very uh, further motivating, I guess you would say. Um, I guess we better get into what does Clean Earth Rovers offer then? Because I have a billion questions. Yeah. So Clean Earth Rovers and you you teed it up pretty well. Tamara is trying to solve pollution in our coastal waterways, both the man-made physical debris, but also the chemical toxins and pollutants that you don't always see. So 
Um, all of our devices are autonomous, similarly to a Roomba, how it would clean your living room. They're autonomous in the sense that it cleans coastal facilities like marinas, ports, and harbors. Um, and all while doing that, it's collecting water quality data. So as it's cleaning the trash that you can see, it's also notifying you and warning you about any pollution that you can't see. Um, and so we're trying to take a, a multifaceted approach to solving two pretty major issues in, in our oceans. That's a great um, comparison. So the Roomba, that little vacuum robot that you hit a button and it goes around your house and cleans, maybe bangs into a couple walls and then learns where it's supposed to go and not go. Um, you've created this for the oceans. What What is the robot actually do? Does it collect the plastic and, and bring it back to the to port or how does it work? Yeah, I can go a little bit on this. So essentially, you know, when Michael and I first started uh, Clean Earth Rovers itself, we were targeting, you know, what you really find out with when you search, you know, oceanic plastic pollution, everything like that, you find out about the stuff that's in the middle of the ocean. And we started trying to tackle that because that seems to be the biggest problem. Um, and it's such a big problem that it's really hard to solve. So we did our, we made some progress doing it. Um, and then through further research, we found that a lot of this stuff that was in the uh, middle of the ocean and whatnot was coming from these um, inner waterways. So um, like rivers and lakes and, and then into ports and marinas and whatnot, and then into the ocean. So we found that, you know, because of the time that we were, or the timing that we were in our, in our lives and, uh, being in college, we thought that we could uh, implement our ideas a little bit faster if we were to switch our focus a little bit and more target these smaller bodies of water like marinas and ports. Um, so then we kind of redesigned our original business plan and uh, created now what we call the uh, Plastics Piranha, um, which is a smaller device. It's about five feet long and five feet wide. Um, and this essentially will go on its own as we're developing this autonomously um, around these marinas, around these lakes, around these ponds, these smaller bodies of water, um, and collect whatever debris that is in it. Um, and because it's a little bit, it's, uh, you know, because it's in, in these smaller bodies of water, it's not going too, too far out. But as we de develop more research and whatnot, um, we felt like this was the best way to make an impact as fast as we could. And, and now we are currently doing so in San Francisco. That's fantastic. So firstly, that ties into the fact that you may have been in landlocked cities, but you're by great lakes and rivers and waterways. And I know, isn't there some crazy statistic, like 80% of the plastic in the ocean is coming down through the rivers and, and waterways getting there? That is correct. Yep. Uh, it comes from Mostly in it's, you know, it's, it doesn't come back in from the oceans. It's coming from these rivers and going out. So it's uh that's why it's been, as people have done more research and kind of figured this whole problem out, they've found that, you know, part of stopping this problem is getting it before it ends up in the ocean. So that's kind of where we find our place in doing so. Yeah. And funnily enough, um, David mentioned or kind of hinted at the mission was to go out and tackle the ocean, uh, Pacific garbage patches and the gyres at massive scale with the technology. And we were really actually convinced for a long time that uh, cleaning like beaches and stuff wasn't where the focus should be. 
Um, but as you mentioned, like a lot of the research is starting to come out that the bulk majority of what's out there is uh, circulating in coastal waterways before you know, it gets pulled out into the middle of the ocean. So there's a greater opportunity to intercept things in like the mouths of river, rivers and in coastal cities and things like that. Right. Turn off that tap. Don't keep putting it in there. Otherwise, we'll be picking it out forever. So that's fantastic. David mentioned about San Francisco, and I know you recently had a pilot. So I would love to hear a little bit about how your traction, how people are receiving this, the robots, the piranha, <laughs> plastic piranha. Yep. We're, uh, we're going with that name for now. Might change in the, as we go on, but uh, it gets the point across. So yeah, so we actually finally were able to get our um, first official—not first official, but uh, one of our first official devices—out into the water in San Francisco. Michael actually had just gotten back about a week or so ago um, from uh, San Francisco, and. Um, you know, it was really a huge accomplishment for us. It was, uh, there were definitely some roadblocks that it came with it. Um, it's been a long time coming as well. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, still figuring out some things. A lot of these pilots and what we're ability to do with these too is, um, you know, because they're pilot customers, they're working with us to, uh, you know, it's do it's able to pick up the trash table to do some testing as well. Um, but, uh, it helps solve some of the problems that we'll run into is in the future, um, so it's been super helpful. The people that we've worked with have been great so far with it. Um, and it's just been a really good experience so far. And we're just excited to keep rolling with it. Yeah. And to, to build on that, um, as David mentioned, like we've got more deployments that will be coming up later this month and into November, both in New York and down in Florida. So um, now that we've got this first one under our belt, we're just looking to take off running. Fantastic. I I know Michael knows I've worked in this uh, newfangled technology in the ocean and have faced all kinds of these challenges. So I can totally understand where you're coming from that as you just go ahead and put the first one in the water, you run into all these problems and learn from them and every iteration gets better. So definitely right. And, you know, as you're doing something that nobody's really ever done before, um, there's definitely some things that you got to get over and that's just part of the process. And we've been doing it for now almost four years and we'll keep rolling, you know? So I think the, the crazy thing too is, you know, David mentioned we've been at it for four years, but, um, we didn't bring our chief technology officer on board until like right during the pandemic or the start of it in 2020. Um, so we've managed to get through all of the design and physical prototyping and, a little under two years, um, which has been awesome. Uh, especially, like, it feels like a long time when you're going through it, but our team has just done such a great job of really thoroughly testing everything and then finding you know, the most um, effective solution that we can deploy. I got to ask, what would you like, like credit that to? I, do you think just the team effort or learning from others' mistakes or... Um, yeah, I mean, I would say a team effort. Uh, we've got a great engineering team, a lot of people that are smarter than us that are pulling it off and, um, you know, taking the failures as they come and learning from them each time and you know, not, not really dwelling on it. I think it, 
we went through eight different iterations of prototype designs before we landed on the final one. And, uh, you know, as David said, like it, it works great. It's out in San Francisco now and we're sticking with it. Wonderful. I'm, <laughs> it makes sense that uh, most really good entrepreneurs will tell you that failure is the most important part. So you got to take those lessons. And David, you mentioned before about roadblocks and, and barriers that you guys have come across. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? How you, what you ran into, how you overcame them? Yeah. Um, you know, you think about some of the things that we've run into uh, over the years, there's been a number of things, uh, both, you know, logistically, uh, mechanically, you know, uh, and, you know, to think of some specifics, I mean, we had issues getting it out there. We had, uh, you know, as Michael was saying, we've had a number of different iterations of the design. You know, we we would create a design, think, oh, this is the one. And then it'd be like, you know, we did more testing. It's like, this isn't working. We'd have to start completely new almost. You know, it's uh, you have the basics about the product, but um, the way it cleans is essentially the most important part of it all. Um, but, you know, without our engineering team, I mean, none of this would have really been possible. Uh, you know, they have the ability to work fast when we need them to. I mean, sometimes there's strict deadlines that'll come. And, you know, when you're making these, you know, robots that have never been made before, uh, there's, like we said, there's going to be issues that come up. Um, they've done just a f- fantastic job of getting through those times and uh, getting the products out there when we needed them to. So it's been, uh, it's been great. At least to our knowledge, we're, we're the only group in the United States that's doing something like this. So um, having just to like, get through it by trial and error has been the key thing for us to get to the point now where we can actually put it in the hands of the customer and we're really comfortable with it. Excellent. Well, talk a little bit, bit about that. Who's the customer? Who's who's your ideal, you know, early adopter? Yeah. Um, you know, so essentially the people that we've been really targeting are marinas and harbors at the moment. We feel uh, they're a relatively easy point of contact to work with. Um, we've gotten involved with some and we've learned that there's groups around specifically with uh San Francisco, there's this group called the BAMO group. And um, one of our advisors, Scott Grindy, he was super helpful in getting us kind of involved in this. Um, But essentially, we found that there's networks out there of marinas and harbors that want to tackle the problem of oceanic plastic pollution, kind of do their, um, do whatever and help in any any way that they can. Um, So that's kind of been, uh, we found that that's a really easy way for us to get in touch with these people. And that's actually how we got involved with our first pilot that we have now. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it, it's mostly marinas and harbors. Now we're still working with now, uh, the Cleveland water Alliance on getting some of our stuff out in the great lakes. And, uh, so it's just really expanding the business. I mean, is we, you know, goals for us is for our ability to get our products in as many as marinas and harbors and in bodies of water as we can as possible. And, you know, we are definitely on our way in doing so. Um, it's just, you know, it's just getting there. That's, that makes sense. Great to have a, a partner like or a helper like Cleveland Water Alliance, so that they have a great team over there. So. Yeah, and that's um, a whole other side of what we're doing as well. Is Cleveland Water Alliance is helping us a lot on the the water chemistry piece that I briefly mentioned at the start. But um, we have these basically this whole second product. Um, it it complements the rover, the plastics brown, really well. 
but it's a great standalone device for people that are looking to build uh, data infrastructure around the coastal U.S. and in fresh and fresh and recreational bodies of water, uh, just for public health and safety measures and monitoring pollution events and total water quality in general. Did you know going in that that was a capability? or something that you wanted to look at, or you just wanted to clean up the plastic and discovered that there's other uses as well? Um, I think it was something that we just kind of discovered along the way. So I actually, uh, there's another entrepreneur in Cincinnati who had put the seed in my head a long time ago. Um, He had a startup that was focused on water quality monitoring. And he mentioned like, hey, you should really look into it. It'd be so easy to just, slap a couple of sensors onto your boat and have it read data as well. And as we got further along into the R&D process and customer discovery, um, it started to pop up in conversation more. And we were like, this probably is something that would be really smart for us to do. And, um, you know, it it just kind of opened opened up a whole nother door of opportunity for us. Excellent. Well, yeah, customer discovery, that's a big big part of uh, the entrepreneurial journey. Um, Would you say you have any advice for other founders like that? Um, Maybe how how to go about that part of developing things? I would just say uh, it's it's probably the most critical piece uh, before you sink your time into something that you know may not have market product market fit or um, may not be what people are really looking for. And so that's what David and I spent probably four to five months doing back in 2020. And we had great, um, great luck with reaching people and having those conversations and really learning their price points, their pain points, um, what would be valuable to them to actually solve the problem. And, um, it's just so great for gathering information. And then also, you know, when you get to the point that we're at now, when you're actually trying to put them in the water, you already have that pipeline of people that you can go back to and say, Hey, we talked, you know, a little while back and based on the feedback you gave us, this is what we came up with. Yeah. And uh, to build on that a little bit as well, you know, yeah, we, like Michael was saying, we spent a lot of time doing the customer discovery and it really was essential to where we are today. Um, you talk about recommendations for other people, maybe in a similar boat. Uh, you know, there's accelerators out there that really focus on this type of stuff. And we found that extremely helpful. I mean, we made over a hundred, I want to say 130 calls or something like that, that uh, during that time. And, you know, it was, we had different ways of reaching out to these people, but a lot of times we were straight up just finding the Marine online and giving them a cold call and whether they pick up or not, but it was a way for us to get on the phone with these people. You know, we made it clear to them too. We said, you know, we're not here to sell you this. We just want to know what you're dealing with. What, uh, you know, is this something that you feel like would be useful? And we found that, you know, I think Michael, that number was like 83% of the people that we had talked to said, you know, yes, this is something that I would benefit from. Um, so it's kind of, it works hand in hand with being lean. You know, people kind of talk about the lean startup effect and, uh, it's a, it definitely eliminates a lot of time and stress because, it helps you know that there's a need for that product out there instead of spending a lot of time trying to develop something that people may not need as much as you think. 
you bring up an ob- an obvious, not so obvious point of sometimes you're solving a problem that nobody's looking to solve. So not a very successful way to start a business. But uh, it did make me really happy to hear that you guys said when you talk to these marinas and the harbors and the networks of marinas and harbors, they do really care. They're looking for a way to fix this. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, uh, and it's more so, you know, everywhere there's, uh, uh, you know, people care about this stuff, but we found that more so on the West coast, that's kind of a lot of the places we've been targeting. Um, and you just, in general, you kind of know that California is a little bit, a couple of steps ahead of people in terms of environmental awareness and stuff. So, uh, that's kind of how we got there. Yeah. And I would say as well, um, for a lot of people, it's like a passion for them to keep the waters clean. Um, I know from our pilot that we just deployed, uh, we had some press and media that was there and uh, the customer was even mentioning like, to me, this is a lifestyle to, to keep these waters clean, to live on it is a privilege and it's the job that we should be doing. Um, so a lot of, I would say the market is um, people who really just respect and care about the oceans and want to do what's right. I love that. And I know I'm in that boat, but I think there's also, there's a lot of listeners on, on our podcast network that are policy oriented or government related. So let me ask you guys, is maybe regulation a part of what's, what's helping you or what could help you? Are, is there a role for legislation in, in your, you know, in, in helping your innovation succeed? Uh, yeah, they actually play a relatively big-ish role, I would say. Um, We found out, you know, going back to the customer discovery, we found out that marinas and harbors will actually get fined if they are not keeping up with standards of, you know, keeping a clean marina. Like, you know, because talking a little bit about the data side as well, there's these algae blooms and um, red tides are harmful to not just marine life, but humans as well. So you have to um, there's a lot of regulation that goes on with it. If people aren't keeping up, they'll be penalized for it. So, Yeah, and then, you know, the issues with coastal oil spills, things like refueling stations and docking stations, it's really easy for, um, you know, marinas to fill boats up all day long. And then next thing you know, you've got a big mat of oil floating around your water. Um, so it's very easy to get fined or feed for that. That leads me actually to a question I had for you, Michael. If, um, are you working with any other groups like partners or something that can help with the cleaning up oil or dealing with red tides? Yeah. So we, um, you know, we mentioned Cleveland Water Alliance are helping us uh, kind of bulletproof our data system. And from more of a case study perspective, I would say that they're working with us on that. But um, on the oil spill side of things, we're actually partnered with a group called Spill Bully, and they're out of San Diego. They do some great work. They've um, been sourcing sustainable polymers from um, info infotech spill systems, and um, we've decided to partner with them because our device does a great job of picking up the trash, uh, but we also want it to be able to act as you know maybe that uh, fire extinguisher safety policy if somebody has oil spill in their water where they can very easily attach a spill sock or a spill pillow to it and they just have to drive over the spill and it'll collect all that absorbent 
It sounds too neat. I, you know, I have to circle back just a little bit more on the on the robot itself and maybe how it works. I guess I'm wondering how deep is it just skimming the surface or how deep are you getting to? Yeah, it's about six inches below the surface. Um, we fear that anything more could cause bycatch of any type of marine life, but um, yeah, about about six inches under the surface. And then as it drives, it just uses the forward momentum of the device to funnel um, any type of debris, even smaller microplastics like styrofoam uh, into the bag. And that bag is reusable uh, for a period of time and then made to be disposed and recycled. Excellent. And do you offer that? Firstly, that's really great to know about the marine life as well. So you're pretty marine life friendly, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. And just like any watercraft, um, it, it would be making enough of a ruckus to kind of scare stuff off before it by caught it or um, drove over it or any, anything like that. The, um, the rover itself, are you selling them to the marinas and harbors or what's your business model? How do you approach it? So through research and, uh, you know, a lot of the people that we talk to, we found that what's kind of best for both us and the people that we're working with is we want to work and sell these as a subscription base. Um, so because we're working with a number of different people and sometimes, you know, some marinas are bigger than others and some are smaller. Um, and that has a lot to do with their budget as well. And we wanted to be able to give us the best ability to work with as many different people as possible. Um, so that's how, kind of how we came up with the subscription model base is um, it'll give us that ability to work with some of these smaller people, the ones that don't have as much of a budget. Because, you know, if you look at, you know, what we could be selling these for and uh, what similar ish people have looked at, at um, you know, these are expensive pieces of equipment. Um, and we get that not everybody can afford those as much as possible. So we found that, you know, doing it on some sort of monthly basis, while also giving the option that people do want to purchase the uh, device outright, um, it gives us that uh, kind of edge in that case. Yeah. And it's, it's becoming, I think, especially in the hardware space, a much more common um, business model. Uh, we, like you hear software as a service and data as a service. Um, this is starting to be referred to as hardware as a service, where uh, just like David said, on, on a monthly basis, people have access to it and we're solving their needs and their problems without pushing them into a corner to spend an enormous amount of capital at once. I think it sounds like a the perfect way to go. And I, I hope that the feedback you get from San Francisco and from the New York side of things, and you said Miami as well, like I hope they, they're they thrilled to have you and it just keeps growing from there. Um, I feel like we could dive deeper into any of these points, but before we run out of time for today, I wanted to get Maybe just a reprise of what you feel has been, you know, your your biggest accomplishment so far with Clean Earth Rovers and maybe what's your vision for the next step? Yeah. Um, you know, the vision is to make as many rovers as possible and 
get them in as many bodies as water as we can. Uh, the more we are able to get out there, the more it'll go towards solving a problem, a massive problem. Maybe or even argue some people would say the biggest problem that we deal with today as an environment. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this started uh, from a reason to make the world a better place and to help the environment in that case. And that's still what we go for as, um, as you know, what kind of motivates us to do so. This is for the greater good. Um, you know, of course, it's a business. It's a startup. Uh, you have to bring in revenues and make everything work. But that's still what uh, gets us to motivate. You know, um, you know, it's been four years and, uh, you know, not a lot of times, there's not a lot of things coming through and whatnot, but that's what keeps us going. So, David, use this chance to throw out any asks or call to action you have too, because what I hear there is that, you know, you're looking to grow. What would help you guys do that? I would say is uh, if you know anybody in need of that is dealing with any type of debris in their bodies of water, um, you know, we're the people to talk to. Um, and just, you know, outreach, uh, you know, we enjoyed, you know, working with as many, you know, um, nonprofits and other places as well that like to raise awareness. That's part of what we're doing as well. We, um, along with cleaning up, we want to raise awareness and make people aware of, of the problem and what other, even just individuals can do to solve it as well. So, yeah, I think we've got a very, um, good mix of profit and purpose with our goal here at Clean Earth Rovers. Our goal is to grow and to help as many people as possible and to really make a dent in this ginormous issue that we see. Um, and the way that we plan to do that is, you know, through the strength in numbers approach. I mean, there's 14,000 marinas in the U.S. and 11,000 are coastal. So uh, the potential to really stop things upstream and catch it before it goes out into the ocean is, is ginormous. And, um, you know, if each one of those rover, rovers is also collecting ocean data, um, we can have a really big impact on public health and safety too. So um, holistically, we're just really trying to play our part and leave things better than we found it. Fantastic. I Last thing I got to ask you guys for, because very often on the podcast, I like to try and get into why people, even if they're not living on the coasts, for example, should care about these kind of solutions and, and the problems that they're solving. So I know we hear all the time that plastic is such an issue and the pollutants in the ocean and obviously getting from the waterways into the oceans. Um, what would you say listeners could uh, kind of take away here? What, what, why does it matter? Yeah, I mean, I think this this issue is massive, and just because you're, you know, in the Midwest or you're not near a major body of water, um, doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you, right? Uh, there are microplastics everywhere. They're starting to find it in the womb before babies are even born. Um, it's in our food. It's contaminated our air. Um, so it's really important that we do the best we can to responsibly. Uh, dispose of our waste and make sure that if we are recycling it, it's it's done properly. Um, you know, it's it's a huge impact on ocean health, on human health, and ultimately, I think our oceans are going to be um, the key role to combating the climate crisis. But if we don't have healthy oceans, then we're kind of losing our hope in that. You know, and also 
it has to do with everybody doing their part. Um, you know, we can do as much as we can with the work that we're doing, but, uh, you know, this is a problem that's going to take millions of people to solve almost everybody. And you know that there's, uh, you know, simplistic changes that you can make in your everyday life, whether it's using less plastic, using, you know, reusable bottles and, and whatnot. There's a lot of small changes that can really impact, uh, the overall, um, help of this and get a solution. Um, you know, faster. It's a, it's a team thing. Excellent. Yeah, I know. I've uh, certainly seen the statistics about how we consume a credit card's worth of plastic in a week or a Lego worth in, in a month. And yep. There's some pretty crazy stats out there and it makes you think like, Ooh, I don't want that in my system. <laughs> yeah. Where can we tackle the pro- the problem with the, most impact. So it sounds like you guys are getting it right. Cleanearthrovers.com is your website. Is there a social media people can follow or reach out to you? Yeah, it's just Clean Earth Rovers on Instagram and at Clean Earth Rover, singular on Twitter. And then uh, Clean Earth Rovers on LinkedIn. Those are the best ways to uh, follow us. And then we have a a contact us page that we'll always respond to on our website. Thank you guys. This has been super interesting for, for me. I think everybody loves a robot and a robot with a really good purpose is something we, we can get on board with. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners as well as the American shoreline podcast network for producing the show. As always, you can reach me on Instagram at lady blue tech Let me know if you're interested in sponsoring an episode or if you know of one of these amazing innovators that you believe is a wave maker. 